It was a uh, few years ago that Jerry and I were standing at the beginning of this hike that's called Angel's Landing in Zion National Park. Jerry had wisely decided that she was not going to venture out on this hike that has uh, drops of 10,000 feet on either side of this very narrow pathway. Um, but I had decided that I would give it a try. And, and early on in the hike, I realized I, I had a, a pretty terrible disadvantage for this hike. I don't, know, I don't know if you've ever met somebody who says when they look at a word search, like the words just jump out at them. Well, I, I have this apparent gift that all of the different ways you can die just jump out to me. And so they have, this, they have this chain that you can hold on to to make sure you don't go plummeting to your death. But I'm thinking as I'm holding on to the chain, like, what happens if my hand slips? Well, then I die. Or what happens if the chain is old and it breaks? Well, then I die. Or what happens if this post that's anchoring this here comes out? Well, then I die. And so about 10 minutes into the hike, I thought this is a terrible idea. And I went scurrying back to safety. And I thought at that moment, well, I just you know, wasted this whole adventure and this whole experience until this week when I was reading John 15 and I thought, I understand parts of John 15 because of what I went through on Angel's Landing. Because John 15 is going to teach us that you need to abide, that we need to reign, remain connected to the vine. And it made me think about holding on to that, that chain link rope, realizing if I let go, I die. And that's what Jesus is going to teach us in John 15, is the importance of holding on to him as a life source, knowing that the only way we have life is that if we abide in him. John 15 begins with a parable in the form of an allegory. And so it begins in this way, John chapter 15, verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. And so we are introduced to, to two aspects of this. First of all, we realize Jesus is going to be the vine here that's talked about. And His Father is the one who owns the vineyard. He is the, the vine grower. And it's helpful to remember that, that so much of, of this concept of vine and a vineyard is, is told over and over again in the Old Testament. This is not the first time we have the mention of a vine, nor is it the first time we have a parable about the vineyard. One of the clearest examples is in Isaiah chapter 5, where, where, where God talks about how he goes out and he, he buys this vineyard, and, and he, he tends it, and he, he makes it all, all exactly right and perfect for growing the, the best vineyard. And even what he plants is the best but in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 4, he says, What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I expected it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? That vine didn't function as it was supposed to function. In fact, I think there's a, a helpful statement in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 21. Jeremiah says, the God says to Israel, I planted you as a choice vine. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, it was written initially in Hebrew, and then there were some people who went, because a lot of people are speaking Greek, and they translated it to Greek. The Greek translation of that choice vine is the exact same wording that Jesus uses when he says, I am the true vine. So Israel was planted and intended to be the vine, and it was planted from the pure stock. How then did you denigrate and become a wild vine? Israel was not what she was supposed to be. 
to not produce the fruits in the ways that she was. So when Jesus says, I am the true vine, we are to recognize that, that as, as Israel was to be the way that people were connected to God, that what Jesus is saying is, no longer is Israel the way that we are to be connected to God, but now it is through Jesus who himself is the true vine, the genuine vine, the, the authentic vine, not the vine that failed, but the vine that succeeded in connection with God, and in obedience with God. Jesus is telling us, if you want to be in relationship with God, then you need to be connected to Him because of His connection to the Father. And then He goes and He says, He, speaking of God the Father, He removes every branch in me, in Jesus, that bears no fruit. And every branch that bears fruit, He prunes to make it bear even more fruit. And you have already been cleansed by the word that I've spoken to you. We have a neighbor, Hedda, and she loves to garden. And if you look at her property, you can realize there's kind of these two categories of things that she grows. And the first is flowers. And the, the purpose and the function of flowers is what? Just to look pretty. And so she has lots of flowers and her, her yard looks beautiful in the summertime. And then she has other flowers, um, that, uh, other things that she plants that are vegetables that the reason you plant those vegetables is so that they might produce a certain crop. And so she has the tomatoes and she has the cucumbers and she has the pumpkins. And all, all of these things serve a very different function. What do you think is the purpose and the intention when you plant a vineyard? So that when people would walk by and say, well, those, that's just such a pretty little vineyard you have there. Or do you think it's the latter, that it would produce fruit? The very intention in planting a vineyard is so that you would produce fruit. And so God is at work in ensuring that the vineyard produces fruit. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. It's not just there to look pretty, right? And so if it's not doing that, then those branches are cut off. But every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear even more fruit. And there's a lot of discussion about what, what exactly this type of branch is and what exactly that type of branch is. But I think that there's a recognition based on what Jesus says. He says that you have already been cleaned by the word that I've spoken to you. Jesus is addressing those who have already been pruned so that they might be more fruitful. If you want an example of a branch that's been cut off, you can look no further than back in John 10, uh, John 13. Uh, Jesus said when he washed their feet, he said, you are already clean. He said this to Peter, though not all of you. What does he mean when he's washing their feet saying that you're not all clean? Because there is one who is about to do what? He's about to walk out into the darkness and to betray Jesus. It is clear that Judas is no longer connected to the vine. As Jesus is saying these things, as Jesus is doing these things, he's not there anymore. And so there's an importance of abiding with him. And Jesus is saying to those who are there with him in the room, that you are the ones who are abiding in me. You have been pruned and you have been cleaned in order that you would bear fruit. One of the things that I think is important to see in these first few verses, as we look at this image of, of the vineyard and of the branches, is to realize that the focus in the beginning is on the investment that the Father has made and that the Son has made in this vineyard. Whatever happens with the vineyard is going to be very much connected with what people think and believe about the one who planted these things. There's a, a guy named Craig Keener, a biblical scholar, and he says, of all the fruit plants, the vine requires the most attention. Thus, the state of the tree's fruit was said to attest 
to how well its farmer had cared for it. When you look at a vineyard that's not flourishing, that's not growing well, you are to infer the owner of this vineyard has not been taking very good care. Because it takes so much work for a vineyard to be successful. That's why Jesus will say in John chapter 15, 8, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. There's a recognition that the fruit that is born is giving God glory because God's the owner of the vineyard. And he's the one who got up early and he cleared the rocks and he's the one who stayed up late in order to to watch over the vineyard. And so God desires for the vineyard to produce and when it does, he receives the glory. We have a a friend in in Cheyenne, Andy Corbin, um, and every year he has a pumpkin that he enters into this competition for the largest pumpkin. Well, in 2022, he set a new Wyoming state record for a pumpkin that was 1,854 pounds. Now, the thing you need to know about that story was that Andy Corbin was given the prize, not the pumpkin. Why wasn't the pumpkin given the prize? Because it was Andy who, who, who you know, apparently he researches like all sorts of uh, fertilizer. And in fact, he gave a shout out in his welcoming speech to his friend to help him find this right fertilizer that has all the, like, he is investing time and energy and effort. So when you get a big pumpkin, you don't say, well, how did this big pumpkin just grow out of the ground for nothing? You realize that the owner has invested so much and his reputation is at stake in what is produced in his own garden. And what Jesus wants us to see and wants us to know is that God's reputation is at stake in what happens with his own vineyard because he has invested so much into its growth. But there is a shift that happens in verse 4 from what God the owner, what the Son has done in cleansing people, to what God is now calling for. And here's what he's calling for from the branches. That's his disciples. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Two ingredients are necessary for a healthy vineyard. The first is that God, the owner of the vineyard, creates an ideal environment for the vineyard to flourish. But then secondly, the branches themselves must be connected to the vine in order for the branches to bear the fruit that the Father intends. So the branches are given this job description, to abide, to remain, to continue, to stay, to dwell where they are. What does it mean? What does it mean to abide? Jesus will make reference of three distinct things that I think actually are describing the same aspect of abide. Sometimes he will say to abide in me and to Jesus himself. Sometimes he will say to abide in Jesus' words. And sometimes he will, he will call people to abide in his love. To answer the question about what Jesus is talking about with abiding, I want us to just talk a little bit about the curious timing of this statement. Of course, we know that we're in John 15. So we're closer to the end of the book than we are to the beginning. In fact, we're in a part of the section that we've called the farewell discourse. This is where Jesus is saying goodbye. Now, where do you think that the the invitation to abide should naturally belong? I would think it would fit better in John chapter 1. He's calling his disciples and he says, hey, you guys got to abide with me. You're not going to be able to do it if you don't stick with me, if you don't remain with me, if you don't stay with me. 
I, I, it feels like these kinds of instructions belong better in like a, a marriage ceremony at the beginning of the marriage where you say, let's stick together. But for Jesus, this is more like a deathbed word. Stay with me. Remain. Abide. And it seems like that would not make any sense unless we recognize what Jesus has told us at the end of John chapter 14. Jesus said in John 14, 23, speaking of the Father and of himself, he says, we will come to them and we will make our home with them. Of the Holy Spirit, he says, he abides with you and he will be in you. Whatever Jesus is talking about with abiding, he is not talking about remaining with his physical body as an abiding presence. Because he's telling us he's getting ready to go. And yet he's inviting them to remain with him. A way that we have to be able to participate with that in a time after Jesus has ascended into heaven. What Jesus, I think, is talking about is a relational or an experiential or even what some people might call a mystical abiding. It's a remaining with him, just like you remain in a relationship. And you get to know a person, you get to know things about that person. Jesus is saying, even after I have ascended, you can get to know me. You can build a relationship with me. You can understand who I am. We understand him through his word. We understand him through his presence. We understand him through his people. We understand him through prayer. And Jesus is saying that no matter where we are, we have an opportunity to abide in Him. But abiding also requires the production of fruit. John chapter 15, verse 5 says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me, you can do nothing. So there is a recognition that as Jesus, as He is connected to God, as the disciples then are connected to Jesus in, in what what John calls abiding, they will then produce fruits. Or the God in them and through them will produce these certain fruits. Well, what kind of fruit is Jesus talking about as he talks about fruit? Well, John chapter 15, verse 9 and 10 helps us get a sense. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Or John chapter 15, verse 12 says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So it seems to me there would be a fair conclusion that the fruit that's being talked about is keeping his commands. And say, well, what are Jesus' commands? He says, it's loving one another. The, the fruit of this abiding relationship will be the love that we share as Christians with one another. The fruit is the obedience we have. Notice the relationship between what Jesus says is true of him and what becomes true of us. Jesus says the son can do nothing on his own. So the son has to be connected to the father in order to do the things that he's called to. And then he says of us, neither can you unless you abide in me. You see how, how Jesus is laying this out like a, like a chain link. And he's saying he's connected to the father. And we have to be connected to him in order to, to produce the fruits of loving one another that he calls us to produce. Have you ever had a problem with your computer? You have to call customer support. And I'm, I, I guarantee you, if you've ever done it, the first at least few minutes is going to be absolutely frustrating to you. Get on the phone. 
Um, um, is your computer plugged in? Yeah. I mean, I, I can figure that part. Um, is your computer turned on? Y yes, the computer's turned on. And they, they walk from, from the very basic elementary things out because they don't want to deal with a problem with your computer if they haven't first resolved, are you plugged in? And I think Jesus wants us to see and wants us to understand the very same thing is true of our abiding relationship with him. If we're not producing fruit, Jesus is not going to say, well, well how are we going to deal with this fruit problem? He's going to ask the question, are you abiding? Are you plugged into Jesus? Because if that has been severed, then the fruit will not come. And you cannot address the fruit unless there is first an abiding relationship. In other words, the, the fruit represents what sometimes is called the canary in the coal mine. Have you ever heard about the canary in the coal mine? The, the, the canary in the coal mine represents the, the fact that when, when coal miners would go down uh, to the coal mines, they, they, they found out that canaries are much more susceptible to all the different gases, specifically carbon monoxide. So it's nice to have a canary down there because if you look over at the canary and the canary, he's dead, you realize he's more susceptible to it, but there's something in the air that will kill you if you stick around and you get out of there. The canary in the coal mine is a sign that something is not right and something is not healthy. And what Jesus is saying is the fruit production is a sign that something is not right and not healthy. Not with the fruit, but with the relationship and the abiding connection that we have with God. So Jesus is ultimately calling us to look at the fruit as a sign of the relationship. Is the relationship healthy? And if the relationship is healthy, it will produce good fruit. And if the relationship is not healthy, then it is impossible to produce good fruit fruit. The fruit, of course, is the sign of the love for one another. That's what Jesus addresses here in this passage in John 15, verses 12 through 13. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. I think Jesus is, we're intended to hear an echo of a couple of things that have happened earlier in John. When we look to John 11, one of the things that we realize is when the sisters send the message to Jesus, they say that the one that you love is ill. Uh, when Jesus talks about going to see Lazarus, he calls him our friend, Lazarus. And, and what did we say in that sermon? In John 11, what we said is if Jesus just hung out where he was, he says, look, I'm not, I'm not going to go down there. I'm not going to interact with Lazarus, then he would be safe. But he risks his own life so that Lazarus might live. And in fact, that's exactly what happened in verse 53. So from that day on, they planned to put him to death. There's no greater love than somebody who's willing to lay down one's life for a friend. And Jesus did that in John 11, as, as his trial is all based on the fact that he has chosen to give life to Lazarus at his own expense. Well, we see that concept echoed in John 13, where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. He, he humbles himself and he lays down himself for them. And he told them, I give you a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you, you should love one another. Jesus is to be the illustration of what our love looks like. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. The kind of love that Jesus is talking about here is a love where one person humbles himself in order to lift up another person. I want to go back to this phrase that Jesus has in John 15, 13. No one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friend. 
Some people who are skeptical of, of the Bible say, I, I can think of some greater love than you can lay down your life for one, one's friend. This term friend in the New Testament, it actually I think refers to something different than what we might think of when we think of friend. For us, a friend tends to be a, a, a mutually binding, equal relationship. I mean, those are our friends. But in the first century, they had a different concept and category where you'd often see the word friend used. Jesus was a part of what was called a, a, a client-patron relationship. So a patron is a, is a person with, with vast resources. And, and, a, and a client would go up to that patron and say, hey, I, I need a favor. I, I can't buy books for my, my kids. I can't buy food for my kids. And that patron may give you that money for it. And when they give that money to you, you realize I am now this person's client. I, I now owe them something. I'm now indebted to them because of their generosity to me. And so you see this, this patron, you see this client, and, and about half of the times you see um, patrons speaking about clients, they will, call, they will use the word friend. So it's not talking about a relationship amongst equals. It's talking about a superior to and inferior. It's, it's essentially, it's, it's an IOU system. And what Jesus is saying when he says, no greater love than laying down one's life for a friend, is he's saying, you, we're actually going to talk about tar- turning the IOU system upside down, where the superior humbles himself for the inferior person. I couldn't come up with a better example than this, so hopefully you'll bear with me. In the movie Shrek 2, this kitty cat who is apparently an assassin, I mean, it just looks really intimidating, doesn't he? Well, the kitty cat who is an assassin is hired to kill the green monster named Shrek. And in the process of attempting to do it, he gets his hairball caught in his throat, and Shrek actually saves his life. And so the kitty cat says, I'm indebted to you forever. I'm going to go where you go, and I'm going to sacrifice my life for your life because I need to repay this debt. And, and if, if, if later in the movie, imagine that, that somebody's going to shoot Shrek and, and the kitty cat jumps in front and takes the bullet, we'd all say, yeah, that's, that makes sense. I mean, he's repaying the debt. But what if somebody shoots at the kitty cat and Shrek jumps in front and Shrek is shot? We say, wait, 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 he already owed you his life, now why are you? That's when a superior person lays down his life for a friend who already owes him. And that's what Jesus is saying when he says there's no greater love. It's somebody who is greater who looks at the needs of another and lays down his life for them. That's why I think Jesus says this in John 15, 15. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing. Philosophers would debate whether a slave could really love a master because a slave doesn't have any options. He doesn't have any choices. If the boss says, go and do this, you go and do this simply because that's what you've been told to do. So if you do what you're told to do, is that love? Well, most people say, well, no, it's not love. It's kind of like if I program a computer, uh, a robot to bring me breakfast every morning. Can I say that that robot really loves me? No, the robot's just doing what it's programmed to do. And Jesus is saying that they are not servants. And, and it's because they do not, it's not because they don't know what the master is doing. He says, I've called you friends. So he's saying, you realize that there is a debt that is owed because I've made known to you everything that I've heard from my father. The difference between a slave and a friend in that culture is a friend chooses out of an obligation and awareness of what has been paid for them. They choose to serve the patron. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, if you look at what I've done in love, you will know what love looks like. 
And then Jesus calls them to treat those who are lesser than them, those who are inferior to them, to treat them with that same kind, that same type, and that same level of love. If I think about John 15 and I wonder what we are to do with it, here's three ideas of how we are to live out John 15. Number one, I think we need to make it a regular habit to reflect on the work of the vine grower. I mean, that's the foundation upon which our lives live. Like, has God ever done anything for you? Has God ever provided for you? Has God ever cared for you? Has God ever given you? And, and so this is all built on the foundation that we are able to recognize. I'm in a good vineyard by a vine grower who's cared for me. And so we reflect on the work of the vine grower. Second is that we abide in him. We abide in his word and we abide in his life. What would it look like to hold on to Jesus to know that if I let go of him and I let go of the chain that I'm holding on to, I know it would be death for me. That's what Jesus wants us to hold on to. Hold on to him and hold on to his love. And then we take inventory of our fruit. Not, not so that if we see a fruit problem, we can say, well, I'm going to do better. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to figure out how to make this fruit production happen to know that if there's a problem with the fruit, then we need to go back to the abiding relationship and say, where am I letting go of Jesus? Where am I loosening my grip on him? Because if I'm abiding in him, he will in me and through me produce the fruits that are necessary. So we reflect on the goodness of the vine grower. We abide in Jesus and we take inventory of the fruit. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn towards you and give you peace. And a reminder, a constant reminder as we go out from here. We do not go on our own resources equipped with our own equipment. No, we go with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We go with the love of God. And we go with the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. If you'd like to respond in any way, I'll be in the back. Some of our elders will be back there. Uh, happy to talk with you, to pray with you. But if you have any kind of a need, uh, just come to the back while we stand and sing this next song together. Let's stand.